Good morning, everybody, and Happy New Year. Thanks, thanks. Well, I'm excited. I'm always excited, especially on Sunday mornings. I love bringing God's word to you, and I love seeing my church family. And just really quick recap. This year is going to be a great year like it every, every year it is. God is doing some great things through his church family, Grace Bible Church. This is a year that we're going to open up a new campus. So it, it, it's exciting. 2022, we're starting to fulfill our vision. Let me remind us of what our mission is here at Grace Bible Church. Our mission is to lead our city into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ and his church. How we're going to accomplish that is by building up builders, disciples, and then we're going to launch them out. We want to have campuses all over Laredo to further his kingdom, to share the good news of Jesus Christ. 2022 opens up a new campus. This campus will remain will be primarily in Spanish, and then the new campus in San Isidro will be the primary English Spanish, and then we launched to Tamiu, the South Side, Mines Road, and beyond. Yeah, so 2022, exciting time. Thank you, church. As long as we're faithful and obedient to God's word, everything will be all right. I remember like if it was yesterday, my wife said these words to me. You mean I have been deceived? You mean that all my life we've been lied to? When I first became a believer, I was in love with God's word. I still am. But I was just hungry. I was learning things. But my wife wasn't sold 100% into this new experience that I was feeling. We had come to Grace Bible Church. We liked it. But my wife really didn't want to let go of her roots, which was Catholic. Her and I were raised Catholic. And so when we first started coming to Grace, we decided as a couple to say, you know what, ni tu ni yo. We'll go to Grace Bible Church one Sunday and then we go to San Martin de Porras the next Sunday. And we did that for maybe three or four months. But there was a time as I got to know God's word more and as I heard the priest talk, I would say to myself, man, you're saying it, you're saying things that are true. Oh, you shouldn't have said that because it doesn't align with God's word. And I said, when I would go to San Martin de Porras with my family, I had my Bible and I looked around and said, where's everybody else's Bible? How come he doesn't say, open up your Bibles and see for yourself what I'm about to teach you? So I was really convicted. And one summer morning, my wife and I had an argument and I said, I'm done. I am not going to go to Catholic church anymore because they are not teaching the whole truth. And she said, you mean all my life I've been deceived. You mean all our lives we've been lied to. How, how does anyone know when someone is being lied to? How do you know if someone is telling you the truth? You know how? If you know what the actual truth is. Because if you don't then you believe whatever that person says. And church, we are in an age where we are getting farther and farther and farther from the truth. 
Nowadays, truth is whatever makes you feel good. Truth is whatever you want truth to be. Again, how do you know where is the standard? How do you know what's actually true? And if you're a Christian, the truth lies here. In the Bible, period. So today we're starting a new series that we've called the non-essentials. Five truths, five doctrines that are known as the solas. That there's no negotiating. There's no drifting from these truths. This is it. And if someone or somewhere is teaching something else, then they're not teaching the truth. The five solas are these that we're going to go over for the month of January. Sola gratia, which is grace alone. Sola fide, which is faith alone. Sola Christus, which is Christ alone. And then sola dio gloria, which is glory to God alone. And today, as we open up God's word, we're going to look at sola scriptura, which is scripture alone. Now some of you may be asking, okay, the solas. I've never heard of that. What does that mean? Well, the solas were really birthed during the Reformation. I want to give us just a little bit of context of what I mean about the Reformation. This might be new to some of you. But before I do so, I need to stop and give credit to credit where credit is due. Most of our teaching and preaching for the month of January comes from this great book called Why We're Protestants. And there's a copy of the book. If you guys want to go into more detail... I recommend you go get it. You can get it at uh, Bridge Ministries where we got this book. So we need to give credit. Again, as pastors that are going to be preaching, this is where we got most of our information. Now having said that, listen carefully, church. Listen to those that are watching at home. I've been struggling in my heart how to preach this sermon. I am going to be preached like preaching the truth like every Sunday we do, directly from God's word. But... God's word offends. And, and here's what we're teaching in these series of the solas, the non-negotiables, truths, and also historical facts. I am going to be saying things that go against the Catholic teaching. I am not meaning to offend anyone who practices Catholicism. I love Catholics because I love people. All I'm doing is sharing the truth so everyone can be informed. So that everyone can know where the absolute truth comes from. Please, please don't take it any other way. So, what is the Reformation? A lot of people know about the Reformation, about this one man, Martin Luther. We're going to be talking about him throughout this series. But just briefly, he really didn't know, like a lot of people, how to get right with God. And he was convicted no matter how righteous he thought he would be, he never thought he was good enough, which is true. So what he decided, and we'll talk about it a little more, like I said, he decided to negotiate with God and said, God, if you get me through this life, I'm going to become a monk. I'm going to give it all up to you. And he did. He becomes a monk. And even there... He still felt guilty. He didn't understand how, how you could uh, a sinful person be right with God, a holy and perfect God. So he takes this trip to, to the Vatican and he meets the Pope and all the bishops. And I believe what really broke the camel's back, the straw, was when he found out that the Pope at that time was beginning to sell indulgences. And he thought to himself, how can 
any human know how much a person should suffer in purgatory? How can any human say, okay, that's enough, now you can go to heaven? By selling indulgences. So what he did, and he started reading more and more and more importantly, I think he read closely the book of Romans. So what he did on October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther nailed a 95 thesis in the cathedral, in a castle named Wittenberg. And on that thesis, literally what he did is he challenged the Pope. And what he did is said, Pope, you are using the people. It is a spiritual abuse. And I'm quoting him. You are not teaching the truth. So I challenge you to defend yourself with these truths. 95 truths. And thus began the Reformation. Now the Reformation at that time, what it did, it split what was known as a Catholic church, the universal church. And now it became the Roman Catholic church like we know it now. And anyone who was against the Roman Catholic church was known as Protestant. We protested, started with Martin Luther and others, protested against the Catholic church teaching saying, no, that's not true. That's not what God's word says. And by the mid-1520s, the Reformation was, was moving on. It was, it was on fire. See, before, even till recently in the 1900s, the Bible in the Catholic Church was only written in Latin. In other words, only the priest, the bishop, the pope could read that language because most people didn't know Latin. They were the only ones who could interpret the Bible. And so... This young man in 1525 by the name of William Tyndale translate, translated the New Testament into English. And being in England, people just were in awe. They finally started to read the truth for themselves. And it is believed that 3,000 copies were smuggled into England. Again... Because the Catholic Church said, no, 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 no other translation, only the Vulgate Latin. That's it. But people were starting to know the truth, reading it for themselves. But in October of 1536, this young man, William Tyndale, was burned at the stake. The Catholic Church and the government said, no more. You are a blasphemy. And his last words as he was burning, as he was martyred, he said this, O Lord, open the king of England's eyes. Those were his last words. So the question is, what drives people like William Tyndale, like Martin Luther, to give up of their lives so that people can know the truth? The answer is sola scriptura, scripture alone. So for the rest of our time together, I want to just go over four main issues when it comes to sola scriptura, scripture alone. Four issues that really separated the Catholic Church and the Protestants as we know it now. And those four issues are the issue of inspiration, the issue of inerrancy, the issue of authority, and the issue of sufficiency. So let's get started. First, I want to go over... The issue of inspiration. The issue of inspiration. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 16 through 17. Paul is writing to this new 
young pastor by the name of Timothy, and this is what he says, all scripture. How much of scripture? All, from beginning to end, is breathed. It, it, it has life out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good Word. That word breathe literally means in Greek that God took a, an inhale, a deep breath, and then breathed it out. Every single word that we read in God's Bible, it's breathed by God. And it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. And men penned this book as we know it now. And this is what Peter writes in 2 Peter 1.21. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This book is breathed by God, inspired by the Holy Spirit through men who wrote every single word. Now here's the issue when it came to the Protestants and the Catholic Church. It, it wasn't that every single word was breathed by God. That wasn't the issue or that the Holy Spirit inspired men to write this book. That was not the issue. The issue was that what is all scripture? See, the, the Bible, as most Christian religions know it as, is it has 66 books from beginning to end, letters, epistles, 39 in the Old Testament and 27 in the New Testament. That's how we know the Bible to be. This was agreed on at the Third Council of Carthage in 397 A.D. And during that time, during the division, the Roman Catholic Church said, no, 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 no. There needs to be books added to the Bible. The Catholic Church has a separate Bible than you and I know it as. They added books known as the Apocrypha. Let me just list some of those books so you'll know. They add a book like 1st and 2nd Maccabees. And, and see, when they add to God's word, doctrine changes. So in 1st and 2nd Maccabees, they get that praying or the belief that praying to the dead is okay. That's where the Catholic Church gets that teaching from. The other book that they added is known as the book of Sarak. I think I'm pronouncing that right. And that's where they get that atonement by works. That you can come right before God by working. And they get that from that chapter of Sirach, chapter 3, verse 30. Again, read it for yourself. The book of wisdom of Solomon where the Catholic Church gets its teaching of the immaculate conception of Mary. What does that mean? They believe that Mary was born without sins. But Romans says otherwise. We've all have sinned. What does that word all mean? All. And fall short of the glory of God. They get that, that teaching from wisdom, chapter 8, verses 19 through 20. Two things I need to mention before we move on. The Apocrypha, why wasn't it accepted as a canonized Bible as we know it now? Because none of those books are referred to in the New or Old Testament. And the other reason is that the Apocrypha has historical error. It doesn't jive with history. So if it has error, it cannot be inspired by God. Because God is without error. Which leads me to the second issue of sola scriptura. And that's the issue of inerrancy. And I'll quickly go by uh, on this one. Romans 3, 4a says this. Paul writes, by no means... 
Let God be true, though everyone were a liar. God is a God of truth. It's not in his character to lie. He cannot lie. So when we spoke, he breathed God's word, his word. It is without mistakes. It is without error. Jeremiah 10.10 says this, but the Lord is a true God. He is the living God and the everlasting king. At his wrath, the earth quakes and the nations cannot endure his indignation. The Lord is the true God and will not lie, cannot lie. What do we mean by the inerrancy of scripture? We believe that the actual manuscripts are without error. When people that read about like David and Jeremiah and Paul and John, they, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote the original manuscript perfectly without error. Because again, inspired by the Holy Spirit and God does not lie, does not make mistakes. So when you hear things like, well, the Bible contradicts itself, no, it doesn't. The Bible is authoritative. The Bible speaks truth. So when you say to yourself, well, that doesn't apply to me, yes, it does. Because the Bible, again, speaks truth. And for a lot of us, the truth hurts. The next issue, and this is the main issue really in the Reformation, is that of authority. The issue of authority. In other words, who has a right to tell people what to believe and how to live? Who really has the ultimate authority? And Hebrews 4.12 is very clear on this. It says this, for the word of God is living. Again, it's active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. See, all authority... Every single truth is found in this book, period. When scripture speaks, God speaks. And everything falls under this authority. And sadly, again, so many so-called Christian teachings nowadays in different churches, even Protestant churches, don't believe that this is 100% authoritative. I'll give you some examples. The Mormons, they have four separate books. Aside from the Bible, they have four separate books. The Book of Mormon, the Book of Doctrine, the Book of Covenants, the Pearl of Great Price. Jehovah's Witness. They abide on God's word, but they also abide on what's called the Watchtower. Who says, this is what you're supposed to do. This is what this means. This is what God's words mean. And the Roman Catholic Church, sadly, does the same thing. They have scripture as authority, but they also hold their traditions as the same authority as God's word. The Catechism of the Catholic Church reads like this. Paragraph 82. Again, historical information. Look it up yourself. I'm not making this up. The church to whom the transmission and interpretation of revelation is entrusted does not derive her certainty about all reveals truths from the holy scriptures alone. Not only the holy scriptures, both scripture and tradition must be accepted and honored with equal sentiments of devotion and reverence. Again, getting that from paragraph 82 of the Catholic Catechism. And we read clearly in Matthew... 
The Pharisees come up to Jesus and question him like he always, they always did. And they say, Jesus, how come your disciples don't follow the elders' traditions? They don't wash their hands. Cochinos. Right? And then Jesus says this, why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? And look at this, Matthew 15, 6. This is what Jesus clearly says to the religious leaders. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You believe your tradition has authority over God's word. The Catholic catechism also reads like this. The tax... The task of interpreting the word of God authentically has been entrusted solely to the magisterium of the church. That is the Pope and the bishops in communion with him. You can find that in paragraph 100. In 1870, the first Vatican Council decreed that the Pope speaks ex cathedra from his chair. What does that mean? That whatever the Pope says is authority. That the Pope cannot speak with error. <laughs> I don't see that anywhere in Scripture. All I see is that all of Scripture is breathed by God without error. And see, what the Catholic Church was doing then, and some of it still today, other religions as well, is they're saying, what I say, what the Pope says is truth. And they don't give us the opportunity to challenge the truth. And I love what we read in Acts. You have the Bereans. They're listening to, to, to Paul preach. And they're saying, wait, 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 wait. Let, me, let me hear what you're saying. Oh, let me check with, with Scripture. Ah, yep, it jives. You're right. Keep on preaching, Paul. And this is what it says in Acts 17, 11. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily. Why? To see if these things were so. Are you telling the truth? Because if it doesn't jive with the ultimate truth, you're lying. Again, church, when any church holds something else in equal or over the only authority, which is God's word, we begin to change the truth. We begin to add doctrine give you again some examples. The Catholic Church has added five sacraments to the only two sacraments that we see in the Bible. And those two sacraments are baptism and communion. When we or anybody else starts to raise up an equal or more value in authority than God's word, then we start building new doctrines. Like the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception the doctrine of the assumption of Mary, that Mary rose into heaven as well. She ascended. The doctrine of a purgatory. The doctrine of papal infallibility. The, the doctrine of indulgences and so on and so on and so forth. Grace Bible Church will only and always teach from God's truth. Check it out. I am not the authority. I will never be. It's Jesus Christ, period. And whatever God speaks, we are under that authority. So church, listen to me. No priest, no pope, no pastor has authority. And it's sad to say we see more and more and more. Again, even Christian church, Protestant church that says that the pastor has authority. Whatever the pastor says is, that's not true. It's whatever God's word says is. That's the truth.
The last issue is the issue of sufficiency. What does that mean? That God's word is sufficient for salvation, faith, and life. Paul writes in Colossians 2.8, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. What is he saying? Don't listen to anyone else unless they're aligning with Scripture. That's what he's saying. Don't fall into, oh, it feels good, so it might be true. No. If it is true, it is aligning with God's word. Paul also warns every single one of us of this. In 1 Corinthians 4, 6, I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written. Don't add to it. Don't make your own doctrine. That you... Don't go on but what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. Scripture is sufficient. You want to know how to be a good husband? You want to know how to be a good wife? Here it is. You don't want to be know how to be a good son, daughter? Here it is. You want to know how to handle your finances? It's here. You want to know how to love one another? It's here. You want to know ultimately how to glorify God and enjoy himself forever? Here. That is the truth. But most of all, most of all, Paul warns us not to believe in false gospels. Again, look around church. There's so many false gospels that we can earn our salvation. The gospel of prosperity. That once you become a Christian, it's all good. Mm -mm. No. See, all of Scripture is Christ. The Word, the Word, the Logos, becoming flesh and dwelling among us. So church, if you attend a church that doesn't teach the gospel, the true gospel, run, run. Paul clearly says this in Galatians 1.8, but even if we or an angel for heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the only true gospel, to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Even if an angel comes down and says, listen, I've got the gospel, if it doesn't align with the authority of God's word, consider him a curse. The only gospel, what is found in Scripture, I believe, is so clear. And read about that in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. Paul says this, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you receive in which you stand and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless, unless you really didn't believe. Here it is. For I delivered, verse 3, I delivered to you as first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the truth. That he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with Scripture, the authority, the truth. That, church, is the gospel. When Jesus stepped out of heaven, God becoming human, living a perfect life. And as scripture says, died and rose again. 
And anyone who believes, who has faith, who accepts that gift, has eternal life. That is the good news. That is the gospel. And the night prior to Jesus sacrificing his life so that you and I could live, he sat in front of his apostles, his disciples, and told them, this is a new covenant. This is what I'm about to embark in. This is why I came to the sinful world, to start a new covenant. Church, as we close today, I want us to celebrate that. The covenant of communion. So if you have your elements, go ahead and prepare as we get ready to receive what we're called to receive. As Jesus says, to do this as often as we can in remembrance of what he did. And as a reminder that he's coming back and restoring all things again. Let me just say this. If any of you sitting here doesn't truly understand the gospel, if you have not received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then don't take this. We are called as believers to receive communion by faith because it has significance. It means something. It's not just a piece of bread and some juice. No, by faith there's significance behind that. That you and I and whomever receives of this truly believes what Jesus did truly understands the gospel. Now parents, if you have young ones, it's up to you, your discretion, if your child understands the true meaning of what we are about to receive as we receive communion. And Paul writes this, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread and we had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Church, let's pray. Father God, we thank you that we can assemble here freely as your church. Let us always be reminded that your son Jesus is the head of this church. That this book that I hold in my hand has all authority. And Father, if we're honest, we want to create our own doctrine. We want to believe our own beliefs. We want to align your truth with our truth. And Father, if it doesn't align with that, then it's a lie. Help us as we begin this new year, 2022, a great year, great Revival, I know that's going to happen in your church, Grace Bible Church. Help us understand the true meaning of authority. That you are the ultimate and only authority and should be in our lives. Holy Spirit, I invite you to convict us. That what we just heard today were your words. That we research the truth. That you reveal to us your son, Jesus Christ. 
We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Happy New Year, guys. Love you, church.